running that shit high Yes, I'm so high Running up these tracks I know I'm the best You know, we hear, you know, we I've done multiple segments on like Curly, the CEO of Curly for the, you know, the chairman, Boris Jordan, or whether it's mm-hmm. the CEO of Trulieve, Kim Rivers, you know, they all want to talk about the Safe Banking Act, which would give them traditional, you know, allow them to do banking, but they don't really want federal legalization to occur, but because they're worried about the Walmarts, they're worried about the Goliath consumer goods companies coming in. But what's so interesting to me is if we were to go the alcohol route regulation wise, where we, you know, have those regulations, we split, you know, retail with the rest of the, uh, the, the, the vertical chain, that would actually protect them. But they don't want that to happen, Acureleaf, right? They want it, they, what they really want is they want a few more years to keep building up, building up, building up so that they have a chance of fighting shot at it. But at the end of the day, what is, what is the revenue of, 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 a, of a Walmart or a Coca-Cola? What is it like 50 billion a year, 60, you know, like these are, and this is, this is over, you know, these are companies that have been around for like almost century, right? Or, you know, decades. Right. right. They have money in the bank. And, and if they see, you know, if they're going to lose money for the first 10 years, they got the money. Right. Right. So it's kind of an oxymoron there, dude, where if that, I don't know if that's actually the right word for it, but it's um, these, these, these big MSOs are really worried about something, but they, it's like, they're worried about the big, the big, you know, big boys coming in, but they also don't want, they want to keep their vertical integration. Right. Well, think about it in these terms, right? So where are these vertically integrated MSOs are generally Midwest companies. Most sprouted out of Illinois' program, right? Illinois, mid, mid-Atlantic region, Massachusetts. Right. So those, those, all of those companies are dependent on single state models where they have an indoor grow. And they have to have an indoor grow and be vertically integrated to run in that state. But what happens to those, what happens to those grows, those $10 million factories that they put up, right? When you can get higher quality, lower price, better looking, better tasting, better smelling, more effective, sun-grown, beautiful California, Oregon, and Washington cannabis. Wherever it is, right? Wherever, yeah. Where it's from. If you can get that in your state through interstate commerce, what happens to their business model? Falls apart. Falls apart because, you know, we've seen it in brewing. You, if you want to make a consistent product, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to make the same blue dream in Illinois that you do in Ohio and call it the, the same. So those efficiencies, they go away quickly. And those are very large investments from a, a, a infrastructure part and, and, now those companies don't start to look as good on paper and you're going to see, you know, you've seen some, I've seen some valuations. I just saw um, a Chicago company, a rather small one, get a $3 billion valuation it's as they're about to go public. Evaluation that's just so right? like, how the hell did you get this evaluation? Yeah. Um, so the largest alcohol spirits company in the world, global spirits company is, has a market cap of 70 billion. Yeah, and so, so how do you, how is how is that company worth three billion and 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 you know the guy that makes Gordon's gin is worth seventy? It's that it's it's they're just not based in reality. But hey, 
I, I don't, I'm not here to, to disparage their business model or what they're going to do. Cause let's face it, they're going to be big competitors in this industry at some point. Um, at some point, or they're probably, I say, or, or they're going to be a very attractive. Yeah. They're, or they're going to be a very attractive acquisition for some big company like Altria yeah. or I think maybe a Cure, yeah I think maybe a Cureleaf maybe they're thinking like maybe a couple of those episodes are like oh we can make it out we can make it out the tunnel before we get acquired but I think a lot of them well and this is the I think it's a great point you brought up is <coughs> excuse me is let's say you can get cannabis from anywhere in the country right and they have all these grows in this one state it's all been their whole business model has been put on isolation in, in each state right um they don't necessarily have the capital to spread out their their infrastructure. They they don't necessarily have the. I mean, maybe some of them are planning. You know, like I think I think Oklahoma is going to be a massive producer state in terms of you know obviously, but um, you know, there's a couple other regardless of that. But do they have the capital for that to be able to go acquire a bunch of grows? Acquire you know probably not. They're probably just going to get acquired. Most like I would say, not like, you know, there's obviously a kind of is not it's kind of a ballpark projection, but you know, kind of us talking about this, I would say like 90% plus of those MSOs are all going to get acquired. Right. I agree. I agree. I think, I think you'll see, you know, maybe out of the top eight, I think there's probably 18 out there right now. You'll probably see it pared down to six or fewer. And slowly. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then or maybe they'll join together because they're like, they that. well, the, 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 the what the best that I've seen is is really if you look at uh, it's I would consider it the Gallo wine model right so if you remember go back in into your not so recent history into the eighties you know Gallo was the largest wine producer but they they made Carlo Rossi and they made jug wine right they made California red jug wine and as that generation grew out of it they decided to pivot their business into buying smaller brands that they built you know, with vineyard names. So they acquired a vineyard called the Barefoot Vineyard and whatever they called yep. it. And they made a small brand out of that and they transitioned from the big jug to the small, the small bottle and they reinvented themselves as a house of brands, uh, much like Anheuser-Busch. So Anheuser-Busch has a, a competitive brand at every price level. And and what's happening in California right now is you've got a SPAC out there, a, a special uh, purpose acquisition corporation. Yeah. Which, which, is, up, yeah. which has literally been created in this era of massive, like this SPAC didn't exist, right? 20 years ago, right? This is because right. there's so much consolidation, so much money. I mean, there's literally millionaires going, okay, let's put a bunch of money together, figure out something, you know, maybe like, right. sorry. And, and they're going to put that out there. They, they could put that out of there on a national basis because they can create enough pull through to create six, eight, 10, 12 brands that can go national and maybe three or four stick. Yeah. And if you can get those brands seated in cities like New York and Philadelphia and Washington, DC and Pittsburgh and Detroit, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, that you can make a business out of that. That's massive. Um, you have a lot of leverage. And I, and this is something right. that I've talked about for like, honestly, wow. And I continuously, I feel like I get continuously reaffirmed on this point, especially just, you know, now talking like about this is the, the focus on brand, focus on brand, because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, the only leverage they're going to have 
is the brand equity, the brand loyalty, the, the, the brand that has the equity in that certain region, right? Sorry, you're not going to compete with, with, a, with a Walmart that get, you know, they make 60 billion a year, dude. Like you're not going to compete on the backside. You have to build that brand equity, something that even a company that makes, you know, billions and billions a year, they can't create that just by money. That takes time. That takes understanding, you know, what is the specific region? How do you brand to that? And that's why brand is so, 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 so valuable. Um, and I'm very glad you brought that up. And, right. Yeah. And the way brands are, are valued today in, in other CPG markets, right, are data, right? And if you have data, if you have data to back it up and you can show a buyer at, at Circle K, you know, hey, I've, I've got, you know, 4% of the market with this one particular strain of, of dog walkers that you can put behind your counter for $20. You got a whole lot of leverage. You got a whole lot of leverage because that guy can put you in 1700 stores pretty fast. Well, just imagine that. Imagine that. And imagine the, the supply it's going to take, right, to consistently service that customer. And that's, that's where, where it, we're going to get deep in the weeds, literally. I love it. Let's do um, it. Is, you know, who can produce it? Who, who can produce enough product to make a true national CPG product? There's very few. It's only going to come out of California. Massive amounts of capital. Oregon and California. Washington. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. It's only going to come out of those three. Right now, 85% of the production capacity in the United States, domestic market, is in those three states and in Colorado. You told me the other day that still blows. I mean, I've been known about that. Blows my like, mind. Blows but, my mind. Know, yeah, but, but I think over time, I mean, once, you know, like, like you know, Texas, you know, those are going to be the southern, some of the southern state. I mean, in terms of region, once everything is legalized, I mean, that, that'll move out of there. I think you're going to see the same regions that produce great grapes are going to produce great cannabis. And that's, you know, Russian River Valley, Humboldt County, Napa, Santa Barbara, um, the area you live in Washington. And that's, ba and that's Washington. based off of your understanding of the alcohol industry. Okay. It's, it's based on my understanding of the cannabis plant. And, the can and you know, those, obviously the cannabis, but like are, I'm saying, the, the best outcome of the alcohol. I, I've seen it happen in wine, right? So uh, I live in Ohio and Ohio makes, they don't make great wines. They make very serviceable, sweet wines and they have a very relatively small market share in Ohio, but they're still around. There's going to be a market for local cannabis, but the bulk of wine comes from California. It comes from Argentina. It comes from uh, New Zealand. It's going to come from all over the world. Right? It's going to come yeah. from all over the world. And it's, it's, it's where does it grow best and where does it grow outside? We're not growing wine grapes inside. And, and not that I, I want to disparage any in, inside growers because I think they're great. And I think greenhouses are great and they make great products and they look great. But there's just a natural advantage to that long growth season and what you can do with it. Oh yeah, it's insane. And yeah. it is insane. And 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 continue to try to say we're going to grow something in the state of Illinois or Ohio or Michigan where it's dark 200 days a year. I think we're just using a lot of natural resources we don't need to uh, yeah. with the plant that can save the planet outdoors by growing it outdoors. And yeah. and going back to the original point is who can produce that at scale. Because what the CPG industry, what, what those major retailers will not permit is a seasonal type product yeah. where you've got it, it's in for three weeks, 
and it's gone because it got to go 365 a year. We got to have the, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that data is really on, on one universal product code, one UPC code, and they're going to measure you on that. And if it's only in the, in the market three weeks, then it's only in the market three weeks and that's all the data they're going to collect. So it's the, it's the guy who can, it's not, and that's not really homogenize it, but who can make enough of a single product to put it out there, to get enough data behind it, to grab retailers attention. That's where, that's where you're going to get distribution. That's where you're going to get real yeah. brand. Yeah. So and, let me and, ask you. And, let me let me ask you this. And also, by the way, do you mind taking your uh, your your speaker? Just put it on the outside of your hoods because I keep oh, yeah, patching a little bit. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, I do think though, you know, going back, I just want. I really want to touch on this point. Is is going back though to the indoor. I think that this does bring a different element that is not really there in the alcohol industry, where there is substantial differences you know, personally, like I, I know, like I personally like indoor a lot. I like outdoor a lot. I like outdoor terpenes are better there. Cause sun, you know, there's a lot of benefits to outdoor, but in terms of perception and there's a lot more aesthetics to cannabis rather than alcohol. Right. Would right. you say so? Absolutely. I, I, I think that the indoor is that, that variable that in terms of, we look at the parallelisms between, you know, how alcohol turned out and how cannabis, you know, will turn out. I think that that indoor is always going to be there or at least for a gener- for a few generations, because I think over time, I think people like once people get more educated on and they realize that not to, like I said, I love, you know, indoor is great, but you look at a lot indoor is not, first of all, it's not the best for the environment. Second of all, sometimes it can be uh, kind of unhealthy. Um, there, there's different, I mean, there's, it depends. There's a lot of, there's so many variables to, to growing cannabis. And so I think in terms of, like, if I see five different types of wine, I mean, I'm no wine expert, obviously, but typically they look very similar. But if I see five different types of cannabis, let's say, you know, even if they're all indoor, let's say three of them are indoor, two of them out, there is a massive difference, at least in aesthetics. Um, so well, I, I think that it's going to continue. It's got to. And it's got to because we've put $2 billion into indoor growth in the United States. We're just, we're yeah, not going to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We put way too much money in this bad boy. Yeah. Right. So, and I, there was a great statistic that at every Anheuser-Busch contest, conference I've ever been to, prior to, say, 2000, they always talked about brewing capacity in the industry, right? How much capacity have we taken up? And they were always, back then, around 97, 98% of the brewing capacity in the U.S. was was efficient. So there wasn't that, there was a number of breweries, but they were very efficient. And then we had craft And then beer. the craft era kind of comes and in and local. Ex- exploded yeah. the amount of, of brewing capacity in the country. And then we figured out that nobody could, could brew at capacity except the big brewers, right? So that, that was a, that was a shock to everyone because doing, you know, doing things at scale is much more difficult. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. But we, we will always need that capacity in the industry in the next two or two to three generations, right. In the next 30 to 50 years, because that's, it's going to take 30 or 50 years of cultivation to catch up with demand. Once we have a federally and globally legal product. I mean, supply is, is always going to be catching up to demand. There, there will always be a, a demand. And, and also just the time to take like the, the, the amount of time it will take to like, you know, balancing out understanding 
you know, this is the amount of demand we have at this time, you know, like, like I know they're creating, I was, I have some friends in Illinois and they're, they're telling me like, they're starting to create cannabis futures, right? Cause that's futures are built to help fill in the gaps between the supply and demand because it, it, that's, but that's going to take decades for that to figure out a good stable. Cause I mean, who knows how long really, but for, for that, you know, because I, cause for right now, like alcohol, for the most part, they have a pretty stable understanding of consumption and where, Right. Consumption is, or is at least this, demand, and yeah. de- demand is the same every year. Mm-hmm. So, you, if you're a salesman in the alcohol industry, it takes you one year to understand demand, and that you know it it starts really. If you start January one, you got eight periods, right? You got the Super Bowl, you got a little bit of Mardi Gras, you got St. Patrick's Day, you got you have all the data Facebook. on these specific days that's Absolutely. been there for decades. Absolutely, yeah. you know what's going to sell over the summer. You know what's going to happen when football season starts, right? But I, I mean, nothing it's makes clockwork, me more excited. Right? Yeah. Nothing will make me more excited than the first time that I see a co-branded cannabis company and an NFL logo on the same piece of point of sale. That will be. I'll be able to die after I see that because I've seen so many pieces of point of sale. What does that show? What does that show though? Like to break it down? shows, it shows, it shows that, that cannabis is on par with alcohol. We're running another check in the North floor. Hey, we've been in the packs in the cell of Running that shit high. Yes, I'm so high. Running up, dude.